as revolutionary a force as just about anything in the digital age. Um, it, you know, it's a tool for discovery. It's uh, a wonderful avenue for people, for journalists, to reach a bigger audience, to have your voices heard by more people, um, and to really get a much better understanding of not only events as they occur in real time, um, but how people are responding to them. Um, I think the best people who that are on Twitter really they know who their following is. They know how to uh, to interact with them. They know how to respond to them, and they know how to present to them. And so, what I'm going to talk a little bit about is that sort of presentation aspect. At least at the beginning, the presentation aspect. When I think, when I you know, sort of think about what my mission is is as a journalist using Twitter, um, and but we can go into some of the ways in which I think. Twitter and the information that flows through that can inform uh, journalism. That I guess that's another aspect that I really think is is quite useful is the, the sort of 360 aspect of it. That as journalists, you use it. You can use it very much as a tool to to broadcast, to amplify your voice, to reach new audiences. But the best journalists, I think, who are paying attention to Twitter are also using it to pull material back what they do, whether it's their own websites um, or blogs or what have you. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful source of information in that way. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I probably spend too much time on Twitter. Um, you know, I see my old friend and colleague, Amy O'Leary from the New York Times, uh, our days at the New York Times, um, and that's where I really started focusing on it and paying attention to it. And I, yeah, I, I do get obsessive with it at times, I'll be the first to admit it, um, just because I do consider it valuable. I, I think that, you know, it's a really interesting tool because to an extent, I think Twitter, Twitter as a company wants Twitter to be something that Twitter is, um, at least to me. I think Twitter is, you know, is really first and foremost an amazing tool of journalism. I think, I think, I, you know, I don't, I don't know the hierarchy uh, at Twitter, but I, I think they want to be a little bit more like Facebook. They want to—they certainly want to have the reach. So um, I don't know if people here have views about hearts versus stars, but I certainly know that in the United States, that caused you know an enormous uproar. Uh, I think it was last week when, when that was introduced. But I think Let me that be was... the first to jump in then, because there's a, a bloke in Australia who thinks Twitter should be nationalised. Shouldn't that actually belong to a company? It should be like the ABC should be government instrumentality. So yeah, I'm not sure I would go that far. <laughs> but it's an interesting thought. You know, it really is an interesting thought. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that Twitter wants it to be much more of a tool of the masses, and, and to some degree it is. Um, but I also think it's a great tool of journalism. Um, and I think that the, you know, one of the things that I enjoy the most about it is understanding and interacting with the audience. By and large, I feel that the people who follow me, um, by and large, are smart news consumers. Um, there are plenty of contrarians out there who like to argue with me. There are more than a few trolls who uh, really like to argue with me. Um, but by and large, I feel like you know it. Its value lies in that interaction. Its value lies in the way. Um, uh, people to respond to you. So, just as a way of starting the conversation, I'm just going to throw up 
um, some very simple do's and don'ts. Now, I would be the, I'll also be the first to admit that um, I probably violate one of these at any given moment. Um, in fact, probably an hour before I came over here, I violated one of them in a very big way. Um, and if you want to look at my, my, uh, my feed, you might be able to see um, uh, what it was. But these are, things, these are things that have helped me, I think, um, exploit the, the, the platform, helped me uh, build a following, and I think helped me be useful um, to, to people you know, by and large. Okay. Uh, understand a subject, deliver relevant information, and dig. Um, this is where I think journalists can differentiate themselves from the masses. You guys, as journalists, you know the tools, you know how to find information, you can be an expert. Um, I actually think in some ways, and I'm an expert on things that I shouldn't be. I pay attention to certain things and um, you know, can dig into a subject and way become an expert, um, even though I don't have any formal training. A really good example for me, um, this was, I, you know, a little bit of a digression. I really understood the power of Twitter in 2011. Um, there was this horrific case of a, of a woman who was, who was uh, uh, in Congress. Her name was Gabby Giffords. She was shot uh, during a campaign event um, in January of 2011. And I remember being working that day. It was a horrific event. Um, and I remember using Twitter that day to both sort of deliver to my following information that I was learning. And um, I just, I really saw in one moment how powerful this tool was because I saw how many people were interacting. And if you flash forward a couple of months, you get into Arab Spring, and then a month or so later was the crisis of Fukushima. Um, and that's where I really felt like, okay, I'm not going to be an expert in nuclear energy, but I'm going to learn a lot about what's going on there, and I'm going to try to deliver that information to my followers. So that's what I mean about becoming an expert. And, um, and trying to understand a subject. This is something that journalists do all the time. This is something that we're uniquely qualified to be able to deliver. Um, relevant content, not just the headlines. Too much of Twitter is filled with obvious stuff. Um, it's filled with headlines that people already know. I think some of the best people who are on Twitter and delivering information are finding things from the, you know, the fourth paragraph of an article or the second minute of a news broadcast, or something like that. Um, I, maybe the next one is is uh, is kind of obvious, but following smart people helps you build up a really good following yourself. Um, I think that you become, you know, you can, you become a curator, and you help your following um, find other good stuff. This is part of the digging process. Develop a voice. Use it and use it responsibly. Um, this is a tricky one, which I recognize that um, many people work for publications where opinion in basic news coverage is frowned upon. Um, I, I guess I have the luxury of now working in a digital, at a digital publication which really takes pride in having a point of view and having a voice. Um, 
but I do think that within the you know within the sort of confines of what you do in your in your day job, I think developing a voice, developing a point of view about the subjects you become an expert in is a fair exercise of responsibility. Again, I don't want to get anybody in trouble um, with their publications, and some publications are very strict on what people can do um, in you know taking a specific point of view. But I do think that um, Twitter is an area where you can develop a voice, you can develop a certain um, personality, which gets to my next point. Um, being real is important. Having, having a persona, have people kind of know who you are. Um, I don't consider myself a public figure, but there's stuff about my, you know, my hobbies that I occasionally will tweet about, and people who, who follow me kind of know who I am in that way. They don't know much about my personal life or my family. I don't tell people what I ate for breakfast um, or what I do over the weekends, but I sort of feel like a little bit of personality goes a long way to making you human, to making you real, and to making people more comfortable getting to know you. Um, you know, Twitter has created all kinds of ways in which you can um, uh, incorporate visual media into what you produce. Um, using multiple images, I think, is, a, is actually a very good function that they introduced uh, not all that long ago that um, I use a lot and I think you know, makes my content more valuable to people. Um, I, you know, GIFs should be used wisely. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, if everything's moving at one time, it becomes kind of a nightmare, but um, they are a way of getting attention as, uh, as our videos. In some ways, the don'ts are every bit as important as the do's. And the first one is one I don't violate, but I see people violating all the time. It drives me crazy. And that's people who get into fights. Um, and people who respond to trolls, or people who like troll themselves. Um, I, I don't know, there's nothing annoyed that annoys me more than an unending Twitter battle. Um, and I assure you that the other person is always going to insist on having the last word. You'll never win. You'll never be able to end it unless you pull away. So my, my advice, Take it for what you wish, you know, my advice is uh, step away, don't give them advice in the first place. And don't be a troll. Don't, um, you can be provocative, I think, again, there's a line here between saying things that are provocative or thought-provoking, um, but there is a line that um, I, I try not to cross, in fact, I don't cross, but I see people routinely doing it. Um, and related to this, don't mistake Twitter for a chat room. One of the things that I find really annoying is when I'm looking at people that I follow and they're talking insider and stuff, and it's clear that they're talking with three or four other people, and I don't care. It just annoys me. Um, all right, here's one that I violated an hour ago. Um, I, okay, don't be overly promotional um, of yourself, your publication, or your um, you know, I will, and I'll tell you the way I violated by is, um, you know, I'm chief content officer of a brand that I love dearly. 
I give many hours of my life to it. I work with some of the finest journalists I know. So I'm going to go on Twitter and, and promote their stuff. You know, it's just I feel like it's part of my job. I feel like um, if I can get a good piece of content that I'm really proud of, I'm going to put it in front of as many people as I can possibly see. So a couple, an hour or so ago, um, I read the review that our um, chief correspondent wrote of the, uh, the iPad Pro. And I think I said something like, um, you know, this is the only review of the iPad Pro that you'll need to read. Um, which was overtly promotional. Um, and yeah, maybe a little arrogant. All right, all right, yeah, point taken. Um, but but I do feel like it's part of my job, so I'm going to take a pass on that. Um, one thing that does annoy me too, um, quite a bit, and I see this, I see a lot of people, particularly those who haven't been using Twitter or social media um, that much, they will say, okay, I just wrote about X, read it. Or, you know, here's my story about, and I'm like, dude, write a headline. Um, give me something I can use. Give me, give me a reason to click on it. I, I don't like you that much that I'm, going, that I'm going to click it just because you said you wrote it or you uh, produced a broadcast. Um, and then I do think that this, this contradicts kind of what I said at the end of the news, and be careful, don't use images uh, gratuitously. Um, you know, Twitter has become a very visual medium, and um, it offers quite a few opportunities to really um, you know, to bring visual media into it. Um, but I do see a lot of people who are throwing up images. Just, I think the only reason it's there is to just have an image and, and try to catch people's eyes. So I would uh, use them sparingly. All right, they're gyms, do's and don'ts. Does anyone just want to have a smattering about what they think other input for gym, other do's and don'ts? Okay, yeah, yell them out. I just want to, um, sorry. I just want to um, Why don't you stand up? Stand up and tell us your point. I'm just interested in this idea of being overly promotional because you're the key content officer of National. So, part of the reason I think a lot of people might follow you is because they want to know more about National and the things I'm working with on it. And, uh, so, it's kind of a It's possible. I think that certainly um, when I was working at the New York Times, I, I definitely think that you know the stature of that institution and the, there, there was so much curiosity I think that people had about the institution itself. That probably did propel more of an interest, I think. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I kind of believe that you know, as, as a tool for news and information, I think, I'm just telling you what I think, I think more people are interested in events and interpretations of those events than they might be in specific publications. That's kind of, that's kind of how I'm All right, the gentleman, oh, Jim. No, 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 I'm sorry, that's your job, I'm sorry. What do you hear from Jim? Thanks very much. Um, is there a, is it possible to be following too many people? I mean, yes. I've got, I've got, I follow about 140 people, and I've just got the stage of thinking, I don't know that I need to follow anymore because I'm struggling to keep up with what they post, and I really don't want to spend buckloads more time because I've got a lot of other stuff I'm going to get done. Right. 
I, I, that's a totally good question. Um, I think Twitter is a flawed tool in that way. Um, you know, they're different. They're, you know, there are some power users there who have lists for this and lists for that. And um, TweetDeck is a is a pretty good tool that allows you to, you know, look at a lot of stuff. That's you, know, you can segregate off lists so that you can, you know, really manage your manage uh, content better that way. Um, I know I follow too many. I think I'm over a thousand. I know I'm over a thousand, and that's yeah. Yeah, that's bad news. Um, I, in fact, I remember being very conscious to keep it under 500, and I believe right through that. Um, it's it is a hard thing to imagine to to manage, and it also is a hard tool now that so many people are on it. Um, it's you can't guarantee that the right people will see your content at any given time. Um, I know, and again, this is probably not something I should be proud of. You know, I've I've tweeted the same thing more than once. I try to make it a little bit different, um, but sort of knowing that there's just there's too much information there that that um, that I probably miss some people that I would have liked to have reached. So I've, I've tried to do that. But yeah, I don't know what the sweet spot is. Um, I know people who you know who follow two thousand. Um, accounts and feel like they can manage it very well, but I, I think I don't know. I'm at a thousand or eleven hundred, and I I don't manage it very well. I see you. Yes. Hi. Um, I wonder what you see the role of the direct message because nothing infuriates me more than following someone and then they spam me immediately with a direct message, and it's enough to make me go back and unfollow them. Yeah. Um, I. You know, my the direct messages that I use are mostly with people. You know, it's just an, it becomes an alternative SMS or something like that. I um, if somebody asks me to follow them so that they can send me a direct message, I more often than not will just ignore it. There was a question back in the corner. Yeah. Yeah, or a sort of comment about not over um, over promoting. Um, Diana Zant has said um, embed your um, promotions, if you like, in a bed of sharing. And she's got a formula of one in four. Will Anderson, the comedian, says um, he tweets six jokes for every plug for his gigs. That's interesting. Um, that, actually, that's not a bad idea. Um, and if that's the case, I'm, I'm on the good side then because I can only think of one thing that I did in the 24 hours that was overtly promotional. But that's, no, that's not a bad way of looking at it. Yeah, don't go below that. Yeah, 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 I like that. One more? You? Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a comment about uh, the increasing, because I've been involved in Twitter for a while, just learning bits and lessons that differentiate between uh, Twitter and ego and addiction the whole thing to one point. Oh, by the way, you've got 1,767 people oh, Thanks following. for checking. Must, <laughs> Seriously? Must, well, they must be the smart people you alluded to. There's 167 of us that following you, so we must be following the smart people. <laughs> um, but I, uh, my question is specifically about, does Twitter now need to evolve a little bit further beyond the 140 characters? Because it's, uh, where, where's it, what's it going to look like in the next two to five years? 
given all the competitions going on, and, and what should we be looking at for a merger? Yeah, that's a great one. Um, well, I, I know that every once in a while, every six months, there's a rumor, right, that you know Twitter is going to eliminate the 140 character. They did it with direct messages, um, not that long ago, and. Um, I believe that, this goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, I believe that Twitter, that there are people within Twitter, executives in Twitter, within Twitter, who would love to eliminate it, in part because they want to be more like Facebook. Um, they feel that the 140 characters is an artificial limitation, uh, and it is, right? Um, but I'm going to be one to say that it's a necessary limitation. I think that um, you give a, you give people a platform to talk nonstop, and they will talk nonstop. Um, I think this, the the regulating function that the 140 character limit uh, has is a good one. Again, it's completely arbitrary, um, but it works for me. Um, you know, one thing I actually it's funny. There was one thing I had intended to list that underdo, um, but I want to talk. Let me talk about this in a minute, and that's for a minute. That's be careful. Um, I spend a lot of time really thinking of how I want my message to go across. I, um, you know, I use every one of those 140 characters for the most part because I I spend a lot of time really thinking about what are the right words to convey what I want to say. Um, I think it's a great discipline for journalists. I think that um, you know, we don't write stories that are obviously that are 140 characters. We generally don't write them that are 140 words. But understanding the need to be concise and understanding the value of editing yourself and crafting a message that people can absorb that quickly is something to be applauded and um, not to push against. To go to your question of what does Twitter look like in a couple of years, I think probably the be the biggest challenge is to deal is how to deal with the question of you know too many followers, too much information, how to get the right information to you. Now you guys will soon see something called Twitter Moments, which is a new project that. Um, Twitter launched in the U.S. about a month ago, I guess. It used to be, it, for a while they were developing it under, under the code name Project Lightning. Um, and uh, it's an effort, I think, to make Twitter more accessible to like the general public, to, to make it less sort of like insidery, to, um, you know, create, because they have human curators, they actually have human editors um, working in New York right now, and I think their plan is to build editions all around the world um, where they will focus on maybe 15 or 20 stories a day, or events, if you will. It's a very, it's a live platform. And these humans, why do I see these These people, these, these editors uh, will be, you know, working their way through um, this morass of, of information and trying to give you something that um, that is uniquely useful. I do think again that this is a this is a tool that is intended more for the general public than for journalists. 
Um, but it's an interesting step. You know, Twitter for the longest time was, you know, completely resistant to doing anything in the way of editorial curation. They hated it. They, you know, they just didn't want to be. They didn't want to be a news organization. Um, and they know because they work with journalists. Being a news organization is hard work. They didn't want to do it. But I think they've now come to realize that the, the massive information that flows through those pipes has got to be managed somewhat for more people to uh, to find it useful. Do you want to move on to next? Yeah. Let me. I'll do this. Um, so here's a little case study, and I'm not really sure what point of all of this is, but I guess it goes back to the being an expert and understanding stuff. This goes to a news event that happened about two weeks ago. Um, so on October 27th, 10.35 Eastern Time, I, I don't remember what day of the week this was, um, I was at home and I was just kind of looking around for information. Some people look for cat videos, I look for stories, I also look for cat videos. Um, anyway, so I came upon this story in an English language newspaper, news site in Turkey, because I think Turkey is a fascinating country where a lot of very interesting conflicts going on between freedom and lack thereof. Um, so I saw this story, government-backed court in Turkey seizes media group that had been critical of the president, President Erdogan. Um, I didn't really know what it meant, I mean, or exactly what was going to happen, but anything involving a media crackdown matters to me. Um, and I think it matters to a lot of the people that follow me. So I tweeted it and it got a real, you know, pretty decent response. The next morning I wake up and I'm looking at some of the, you know, some of the people that I follow. I actually do have a list, uh, a curated list devoted to Turkey. And I saw these images of water cannons in the street. Now, unfortunately, water cannon in the street is an all too common thing that happens in Turkey. Uh, the government seems to call them out at a moment's notice, but it usually su you know, suggests that there's some kind of internal strife. Well, it turns out that the police were actually moving on one of the media companies, or the media company that had been mentioned in the story the night before. So I quickly, 718, that's about an hour after I woke up, I tweeted that out. Then uh, a few minutes later, I'm looking again, this is part of the discovery thing, I'm digging through sites. Um, I've never lived in Turkey, I've never been to Turkey. I'm not a Turkey expert, but I know my way around the internet. So I found some images, um, stunning images of Turkey police arresting reporters, clashing with crowd at a news media headquarters. Um, okay, I commute between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. I get to the office, and I can tell this is a, this is something, this is big. Something really big is happening. You can see I had a very fuzzy image of this guy with a hood on, and I wasn't entirely sure what had happened in that image. Um, but before I left my home, I assigned the story to somebody at Mashable. I said, get on it, let's see what we can find out about this. I get to the office, the story had been published. And this is where I say, use your voice. Don't be afraid 
to have a point of view. Again, I recognize some publications are not going to like it, um, but if you are an expert and feel strongly about an issue, I think that's what journalists can and should do. So I thought about this picture, and you know, when I realized that's a reporter, and he's got a black hood over his head. I'm sorry, not black. There's no hood. I'm sorry. The guy's, you know, grabbing him by a headlock, and these, you know, I don't know who they are. They're, whether they're police or thugs or whatever. But this, this to me was a very, very disturbing image. And so I thought to myself, how do I want to phrase this? You know, this my tweet went well, well beyond the headline that was on the story that we published. But I felt like this was a striking enough image that I could take a stand and say this is not a good thing. And as you can see from the, you know, from the response, um, people were paying attention to this. Um, 856 retweets suggests a degree of engagement with that story. Um, okay, so I continued to follow this through that morning. So 9.38, again, I'm just, you know, I'm in that discovery phase, looking at, looking through my feeds, and um, so it now seems that, okay, this one is uh, from inside the control room of the television station that these uh, police were essentially trying to take over. They were continuing to broadcast. Um, I'm sorry, this time is wrong. That should be 10.14 a.m., not 9.17. 10.14 a.m. Um, we had updated our article. And I was, um, I probably overused the word stunning today, that day. I think I used it, yeah, stunning images, stunning developments, but it was a big deal in my mind. And I wanted people to know about it. Um, it was also interesting to me that, at least in the United States, there was very little mainstream news attention to what was going on this day. You know, the, the New York Times had run, a, I think, an Associated Press story buried deep within its website. I didn't see much on the Washington Post or some of the other mainstream news organizations. So, um, again, I, I sort of exercised a little voice there and, um, you know, asked why the mainstream media did not pay more attention to it. And again, when I see numbers like 166 retweets or 292 retweets, um, that, to me, suggests a level of engagement with the story. I'm reaching people. I know they're paying attention. Um, what was interesting in the course of our reporting, we came across a person who actually was tweeting from inside the media, the television station that was under assault. Um, her name was Suna Vidimli. Uh, and she is the woman who's in the center of that picture on the control panel. So that night before we left the office, um, we reached out to her and said, um, would you be able to write something for us? Which she did. She did it overnight, New York time. We published it the next morning. And as you can see, we, you know, this, is, this is a tweet that I think is a little promotional, but yet very um, worthy of being promotional. Um, and, you know, it explained how we were involved in the story and how um, we got a real expert on the scene. Um, I'm going to talk actually a little bit more about this tomorrow in the keynote, where, you know, I don't have a giant newsroom. 
I have about 100 journalists who work for Matchroom. Um, we, you know, we can't cover the globe like BBC does, but through tools like Twitter, we can pay a lot of attention to things that are going on elsewhere, and we can find, you know, we can find people. In some cases, they're journalists who are working locally who can help us understand the subject as it's happening. Um, I, so I continue to pay attention to this story. Somebody posted a video uh, within the television station the next day of the police or, or overseers coming in, and then when the reporter who was you know whose picture was so rippingly uh, rendered in that in that image, um, when he was released, we tweeted about that as well. So um, again. You know, I think this is this is a good example, at least of two of those do's that I said, which was become an expert in a subject, and don't be afraid to um, to talk about it with a degree with you know, a degree of, of voice and a point of view. Yeah, absolutely. This is about the very early stages of your tweet, because once after the time has passed, AIPs reporting on it, you can get that verification. Yeah. Well, when I see, I mean, there are, at least in the case of Turkey, and I know this can't apply to, a, to every event, I know that there are English language publications. So if I see something on Twitter, I can work my way through either English language publications or in some cases Turkish publications where I, you know, I'll admit I've used Google Translate occasionally and, you know, try to sort of work my way through that. Um, I do think that verification is a huge issue. Um, we, you know, as a news organization, we work with Storyful, who I think is, are they presenting here? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, they're they're a very good, um, uh, you know, very modern digital verification service for social media. Um, I didn't quite have the luxury. I, I I don't know whether they were paying a great deal of attention to this, but basically, for me, you can you know the initial tweets that I did that day. Um, you know, today Zaman is is an English language site. Korea is an English language site, so I, I had reasonable comfort. Yeah, reasonable comfort that I was, um, you know, on solid ground with yeah. them. But it, but I do pause. I mean, that's the part of being careful. Is like take a minute or two. Um, I always like okay. I'm gonna hold my finger above the send button. Just, I'm just not gonna let it go down until I really feel confident that I'm doing the right thing. So just uh, uh, on that question. One of the three said this is what happens to journalists. Um, how did you know that it was a journalist, not someone else? Fair point. Um, I certainly could not conclude with 100% certainty. But people I followed, and the way, again, the way media, again, English language, you know, established media companies were referring to that person as a um, as it turned out, indeed he was. Uh, his name came out when he was, I don't know, I guess overnight uh, you know, we learned his, his identity. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I do think that there have been times where I have 
probably you know not been 100% certain, um, but felt like I was doing enough homework, looking at enough sources to to feel comfortable that I was in the right uh, in the right ballpark. Yeah. And when you do, I guess get it wrong, the person could have not been a journalist. Yeah. You know, just a different image somebody's used. What do you do then? Do you just apologize? And I yeah, I tend to. Um, that's never fun. Yeah. yeah, it's never a pleasure to admit you're wrong, but uh, admitting you're wrong is a heck of a lot better than pretending it didn't happen. Um, you know, what I'll do sometimes is um, issue a correction, uh, you know, that is not unlike what an old school newspaper correction might look like. Um, you know, in extreme circumstances, I will believe a tweet if I feel like I've screwed up hugely. Um, but by and large, I try not to delete stuff because I don't think that the record should be completely expunged. But if it's if it's so bad that um, I think it's you know it's it's hurtful for that information to still be circulating, I will. And if the story goes on your website, would you delete it then? Well, I think what what I would do if a story went on the website that was wrong, we would you know there. there it's kind of an easier way of correcting it because it is a, you know, it's kind of a fixed thing. Um, and you can go and rewrite the headline. There are so many different ways that you can re reshape the, I mean, the trouble is, and this is an inter interesting uh, question for Twitter in the future, the gentleman who asked um, that question a few minutes ago. Twitter in the future has got to deal with the question of can tweets be edited? Um, they have uh, refused to do it, obviously, it's not a thing. Um, but I kind of foresee that's going to be a development that happens. I think that, um, you know, uh, there was an interesting thing, and this happened maybe three or four months ago. Um, one of the most famous people on Twitter, Kim Kardashian, um, right, said something, I don't know what she did, what she, she screwed up something. And, um, and said, why doesn't Twitter have an edit function, you know? And um, uh, Jack Dorsey, who had just come back to Twitter as the interim CEO, actually did respond to her and said, we'll look into that. So, um, yeah, so if Kim Kardashian is able to give us an edit function, I think that's pretty good. Pardon me? Yeah, that might be a good thing. Do you want to keep taking questions on this? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I just had a question, Jim, all the screen grabs, your voice, only and sometimes sharing magical articles, but none seem to be retweets of magical. I don't know if you did that alongside this, well, or if you find more currency to your voice sharing the magical articles directly. Um, I occasionally, it, it, it kind of depends, I think, if I feel like I have something to say. Um, a lot of the stuff that we do, you know, under the, the overall brand or um, some of our channels, some brands, we have a magical AU. Um, Twitter feed. A lot of them are more like headlines, I think, than um, conversational stuff. Um, I'd like to, you know, maybe from the standpoint of how we handle up, how to handle things corporately, it would be better to be a little more conversational. But sometimes I feel like I can talk to, talk to the audience in more of that tone as opposed to simply retweeting. Um, you know, the overall account. It, it does kind of depend on some days. 
Um, I will show one more. I think I've got another slide that I wanted to show. Um, okay. This one is interesting. The one on the left, yeah. Uh, these are actually two that I grabbed last night. Okay. So uh, this was a story on Mashable. And apparently uh, Bloomingdale's and its Christmas catalog had a page. Uh, yeah, I can hear everybody like, can you believe that? Um, it's outrageous. And um, the headline that we wrote, I will say, was a little bit more, um, let's put this, just the facts, if you will. It was a little, it wasn't judgmental per se, it was more like, Bloomingdale's apologized for this. And I don't know, I felt like this this was a little worse than something that Bloomingdale's could just, you know, sweep under the rug, right? This was not a 